Let's talk about Riverside.fm, the leading podcast and video creation platform that's changing the game on how creators record content. Riverside.fm allows you to record studio quality audio and up to 4K video on their platform. Now you can interview a guest a thousand miles away and it'll sound like you're sitting in the same room. It's as easy to use as Zoom, but gives much higher quality audio and video recordings. Did we mention that they have a mobile app? This allows guests to connect directly from their phone and record content from anywhere. After your content is finished, you can easily grab clips to share them across your social media channels. So if you're looking for a hero platform for all your recording needs, from podcasts to webinars to other video content, you should be using Riverside FM. Sign up today so you can focus on your content and leave the quality to Riverside FM. Use promo code SHIPIT and receive a 30% discount on your first three months of your subscription. That's promo code SHIPIT to receive a 30% discount on the first three months of your subscription. Back to the show. Welcome to episode number nine of the Talking Blues podcast. We are a Chelsea FC podcast ready to preview this upcoming weekend's game against Southampton. I'm joined by Josh and Peter today, both co-hosts available. It was very amazing, Um, very exciting. Josh, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. The transfer deadline has ended. We already touched on that a little bit. Nothing really crazy, just some loans from Chelsea. Uh, And then now moving on. We're going to have a game this weekend against Southampton. Finally, it's felt pretty long, but, you know, I'm doing well because we're going to see some Premier League action. Peter, how are you? I'm doing well again. I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to be able to watch some soccer again after the international break, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say it's like I don't dislike the international break because it's fun and always interesting to see people on the international stage, but I would rather have Chelsea play. But I mean, um, I'm glad we can uh, start recording some more previews, some more news, and I'm excited to be back. So I guess from there, uh, looking at Southampton first before we go into Chelsea, obviously their lead tallies man there is Danny Ings. Um, obviously a whole bunch of other solid players there at Southampton, not doing so well this season after their pretty good finish last season. So Peter, what do you think uh, about them and what do you think they're going to bring as an opponent to Chelsea? It is very simple. Stop Danny Ings, stop Southampton. That is all. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think he's the main man there in Southampton. And if we can shut him down, um, and that'll really be an important role for Tiago Silva and probably Kurt Zuma, who we're going to talk about later when we go through our lineups, um, to shut down, and that will be very important. Yeah, no, I agree as well. Um, kind of just said the main point. There's nothing really that Southampton brings to the table uh, besides Ing, so if we can just shut him down. Yeah, I'm just repeating you two guys, but uh, if we could just shut them down, then we could definitely win this game, and that's what I'm rooting for, a win. I don't need another South, uh, or not South Brom, um, West Brom game where we end in a draw. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, that is not the goal here. We want the three points, not a draw. Um, but Chelsea are dealing with a couple injuries. The main one 
um, with Edward Mendy is injured. Uh, he got injured in training during international duty. Questionable when he will be coming back. It doesn't look like he will be available for this upcoming matchup. That's concerning. We either have Willie Caballero or obviously Keppa. Two very not great options. It just doesn't sound good. Um, I guess let's kind of, this is a nice shift into our lineups here, I guess. Who do you have starting in goal this weekend? Peter, why don't you go first? I mean, I'd love to say, oh yeah, once again, we have Mendy, but he's been ruled out. But it wasn't anything major. I'm sure he'll be back, I mean, within the next two weeks at some point. But obviously that's not the case this week, which means you have to roll with people I'd rather not have in goal. But I mean, Keppo coming off of international break, maybe a little time away is something that he needed. I just have him in goal. Hopefully he plays not terribly. Yeah, I have Keppo as well. So I have him starting in goal over Willie Caballero. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a little scary. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely nervous. It definitely is, but I also, like you guys, have Keppa in goal, but I'm looking at it from a different perspective here. Coming off of international break, coming off of being benched right away, Edward Mendy quite literally flew in and took his job overnight. I think there's going to be some motivation there for Keppa. I think he's going to want to prove something. And I'm hoping that he puts up a good performance and we could see that he is actually a good goalkeeper. Um, I, I'm I'm hoping. This is just my hope. I'm not sure if it's going to happen, but I think he will have a little bit of uh, something in him that will you know propel him to do better this game against Southampton. Yeah, but you have to think about it, Alex. And he's probably had that this whole season, and probably the end of last season. If you re- if you really want to think about it, uh, Kepa knew what was going on around him. The rumors of the transfers, the uh, bringing in another goalkeeper. Uh, he, I would think he would know that it was going to happen eventually and just, it, yeah, he had the beginning of this season, especially to prove himself and he didn't. And that's why Mendy came right in. He start and he starts at goalkeeper now for us. So, I mean, you could say what you want to say about the, the pressure and all that stuff and maybe he'll produce better, but I don't see that happening. But there's also a difference, right? When you're sitting on the bench watching another goalkeeper who was brought in to replace you play, that is different from rumors, right? He is sitting on the bench. He has been benched for Edward Mendy. He's sitting on the bench watching Edward Mendy in goal. That surely has to do something to him. And I think that's going to uh, really motivate him to hopefully do well in this game. And for him, it's all about the basics, right? Don't try to exceed any expectations. Don't try to be fancy with it, passing out of the back. Just have a solid performance, clean sheet, no mistakes. And I think he will get another try or another uh, a chance if he doesn't make any mistakes. Oh, yeah, 100% agreed. It's not like we're expecting him to come in and be like the best keeper in the Prem. We just need him to eliminate all the sloppy silly mistakes just just get rid of those and as long as you're just a solid keeper you'll get back into the team you'll be i'd say right now it's mendy pretty much is on top of a mountain compared to him but you can start climbing that by just eliminating the sloppy mistakes just calm down and goal just don't don't try to do anything too fancy and just play solid soccer that's that's it 
Yeah, and when I see the signing of Edward Mendy, I don't see it as a permanent solution, right? The 28-year-old is not the future of the goalkeeping position at Chelsea, at least in my opinion. They would have brought in someone different, I think, if they did lost all hope in Kepa. And that's why I think they brought in Edward Mendy as a, you know, a competitor for him. I don't think he's a replacement. Exactly. So I, I still believe Kepa has a role at this club in the future. I just think he needs to pick up his performances quite clearly. But yeah, that's just the main problem there. I think what we really need is just Petr Cech just needs to come back and start in goal. I think that's that's just what that, that would needs. solve it. Yeah, or or Thibaut Courtois just comes back from Real Madrid. One of those two <laughs> things would be very helpful. But uh, yeah, I guess let's move on to the defense now. Um, I guess before we get to the defense, what formation is everyone um, looking at? Oh, I assume we're all going four at the back. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I have four at the back. All right, same. So I'm going to start at the fullback positions. I'm going to have uh, Cesar Aspilicueta starting at right back, and I will have Ben Chilwell at left back. I'm going to I th- I'm gonna have Chilwell at left back, even with the injury he's expected to play. I think he'll stay in there. And I'm going to have uh, – I'm also going to have Aspi out on the right. I think it's not – it's kind of like even with between him and Rhys James, but I mean – the advantage of having um, him in there is that it's easier to communicate with the rest of the back line. Yep, completely agree with you. Uh, I also have not Marcus Alonso starting at left back. Luckily, I, I don't need want him starting there. So I've been Chilwell, and then at right back, I have Asby. All right, moving on to the center back positions here. Um, definitely a lot of options. We're not really sure if we're going to see Tiago Silva and Kurt Zuma. Maybe Christensen gets in there. Rudiger obviously not being shipped out in the window. So I'm going to go with Zuma and Thiago Silva. I think that is the pairing that Frank Lampard is liking. Kurt Zuma scoring uh, two goals in his last two games, which is pretty crazy. Um, last two Premier League games, at least. So yeah, I have Kurt Zuma in there, and I think he is a good partner for Thiago Silva. Obviously, Thiago Silva kind of smaller, less physical, or not less physical, but just, you know, not as. A uh, big of a stature, and I think Kurt Zuma makes up for that nicely. I, I agree with you, Alex. I think it's going to be Thiago Silva and Kurt Zuma. I think that's the partnership that that is going to we're going to see throughout most of the season. I think Frank Lampard has the most trust in that partnership, and I think I think they they kind of complement each other well, and they've done so far uh, pretty well so far that they've for how long they've been together. Yeah, I have, the, I have the same thing. We're we're all matching here. Maybe it'll change in the midfield. Yeah, so moving into midfield, um, I'm going to do the 4-2-3-1 again, and those two kind of holding-ish, not really holding midfielders, Ivan Golokante and Mateo Kovacic. Could it be Jorginho again? Probably. I've guessed Kovacic and Kante every single time now, and I've gotten it wrong. But I think this is the time that it will change because I just don't think Jorginho has the legs to play in that two with N'Golo Kante. Um, so I'm going to go with Mateo Kovacic. I'll go Jorginho, actually. And I'm also doing a 4-2-3-1. I'm going to have Jorginho and uh, N'Golo Kante starting at the defensive midfield. I'm also going 4-2-3-1, but I'm throwing in a bit of a curveball. 
Uh, I'm going to have Kovacic and Jorginho and say Conte uh, maybe gets a bit of a rest today, especially because uh, there's been rumors about um, kind of having having a spat with Frank Lampard, which I don't know if that's true or it's not true. Um, obviously, they're saying he's not going to leave because of anything, but if there was something, then there could be a chance that he wouldn't play. So I think it's going to be Kovacic and Jorginho in there. I find those rumors goofy. Like, can you imagine N'Golo Conte having a spat with anyone? He just seems like too nice of a guy to even ever, like, argue with anyone. He just seems like, I don't know, just doesn't make sense to me. But, yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from there. Um, Going into the three, uh, I guess the three attacking midfield options. On the left side, I have Christian Pulisic. On uh, the right side, I have Callum, uh, not Callum Hudson-Odoi, Mason Mount. And in the center, I have Kai Havertz in that number 10 role. On the left, I also have Christian Pulisic. Center, I have Havertz. But, and I'm pretty sure uh, I've seen reports that Hakim Ziyech is fit and he is ready to make his debut. So I think on the right, we might see a debut from Hakim Ziyech. Um, I, if he does play, I'm going to be really excited for that. I think he'd probably probably not play the entire game. He'd probably get maybe like a half under his belt. But I think we could see him at some point in the game. Yeah, there you go. I completely agree with you, Peter. I know Alex isn't so... He, he's kind of doubtful on that, but no, I'm going to have Christian Pulisic at the left wing, I guess, or the left, whatever you want to call it. Um, Havertz in the middle, and then on the right wing is going to be Hakeem Ziyech. So, yeah. Yeah, I think we will see an appearance from Ziyech in uh, this uh, this game, but I do think he will be coming off the bench, and I do not think he will be starting. But uh, I guess we'll see this weekend. Moving on to the striker I do not think it will be Tommy Abraham. I think we'll be moving Timo Werner into his proper position at the center forward spot. And I believe he will be starting there. And I think he will bag his first Premier League goal. I know we're making goal predictions on this podcast, Alex, but uh, I'm no, also I was gonna... just doing it for fun. <laughs> I'm also going to have Timo Werner uh, starting at the, at the striker center forward position. And uh, yeah, I, don't I don't like to see him on the wing. Um, and then I, I understand we want to have Abraham, uh, you know, at the, at the striker position to kind of give him minutes. And then uh, Frank was also dealing with the injuries of Christian Pulisic and, and uh, Ziyech. But now they're both back, hopefully. And hopefully Ziyech plays in this game. So I'm going to have Timo Werner. I'm also going to have Timo Werner. Uh, though I wouldn't say I'd be completely surprised if we maybe had Giroud in there, because obviously he was pretty successful over international break, although Werner was too. It's possible we could see him, especially with, I feel like Zayac would be um, uh, someone with who would have great deliveries into the box, and obviously Giroud is a great aerial threat. But I think Werner is, gonna, is the better option overall, and I think that uh, we're going to have him starting in, uh, up top today, or not today, in the game. And obviously, after the game this weekend, we have that midweek matchup in the Champions League. So um, I assume Frank Lampard will want to keep that game in mind in terms of who to play and who to rest. Um, But I believe that is it for um, the preview to Southampton. We'll most likely have... Oh, yes, Josh. 
<laughs> no, just one more thing. We didn't even go. Did we go over the Champions League uh, group stage that we're in? I don't even think we touched on this. We have one of the easiest, if not the easiest, UEFA Champions League group stages. It's unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much set it up well. We have, uh, I'd say it's close. It's close to the easiest. But I mean, if we don't get at l- if I'd if we don't get at least fifteen points in that group, I'm going to be. Uh, I'm not considering it a success. Uh, it's way too easy to be struggling at all. Even like being close to get not getting first. We need to get first convincingly. For anyone who doesn't know, I'm just going to read out the group real quick. Uh, obviously, Chelsea, uh, Sevilla, the reigning Europa League champions, and they will be in our group, but they don't historically do so well in the Champions League. Uh, Ren, Edward Mendy's old club, that'll definitely be interesting. And Krasnodar, um, a team that most people have never heard of. So definitely an easy group um, for Chelsea, a good draw. Um, you know, some other clubs definitely had a harder draw. Uh, for example, Manchester United, who have Paris Saint-Germain and RB Leipzig in their group. Um, but besides that, most of the other Premier League teams, I do believe, have pretty reasonably easy groups. So, yeah, it's just a good uh, good draw for Chelsea. Yeah, well, I mean, I think everyone's kind of looking at uh, Group G with Juventus and FC Barcelona. Most likely the last time we will see this, uh, you know, with um, Cristiano Ronaldo, who has COVID-19. So we're going to have to see what happens there. Uh, and then Lionel Messi, because I think I think everyone, when they were doing the draw, that um, that everyone was excited that they're both in the same group, Juventus versus Barcelona, because we don't know how much longer uh, they're both going to be playing, and we don't know how much longer uh, Lionel Messi will be on Barcelona. Yeah, that'll definitely be a game to tune into. Uh, We'll definitely talk about that on the podcast um, when that happens in, I believe it's what, less than two weeks away. So uh, we'll definitely be talking about that upcoming game. Big pauses. Um. I believe that is it. So now we're going to go to our interview with Tony Evans. We are back now with a very special guest, Tony Evans. He is a columnist for The Independent and a former football editor of The Times. You can go follow him on Twitter at TonyEvans92A. Tony, how's it going today? Oh, it's good. It's good. Uh, It's international week, so it's relatively quiet. But after the madness of the transfer window closing on Monday, you know, it's it's quite good that it's quiet. It's been an amazing week. You know, in the Premier League, because you know Sunday was perhaps the maddest day we've seen for a long time with Manchester United and Liverpool's results. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's a fun time. Hopefully, you know, it's a fun time against the backdrop of you know we we all know what's happening in the world with the virus and going to football matches at the moment is a bit strange with no crowds in. And hopefully, we'll move to a you know, more like. It used to be pretty soon. So, but other than that, I can't complain. 
Yeah, it'll definitely be good to see fans back in the stands soon. Hopefully that can happen. Um, Speaking of the transfer window, obviously Chelsea, one of the busier clubs um, this window. So just kind of a quick, what did you think of the general uh, window and business from Chelsea? Superficially, it was absolutely excellent. They bought a lot of good players, a lot of good forward-going players. The problem is that defensively, they've not done enough. And that's where the real problems are. Uh, I, I think they needed, oh, certainly another centre half, probably another full back, and they needed to strengthen that unit rather than anything if they are going to push on for trophies. Um, they'll score a lot of goals going forward, and they've got so much talent there. But oh, you know, even even when you know Thiago Silva came in with a big reputation, obviously on a free, and he's been fantastic, played in the Champions League final. But you look at him and you think that might well be a tough year for him in in this league, in the Premier League. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it was interesting. Obviously, we brought in Thiago Silva. And also Ben Chilwell, obviously, that was a big signing at left back. But, you know, Chelsea fans, we've been talking about Marcus Alonso, who's usually starting out there, um, you know, very attack minded and struggles defensively. But you can kind of say the same thing about Ben Chilwell um, in terms of his struggles defensively as well. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the things that we've seen over the last few years is, and certainly with Liverpool, is the, the, the change where the, the point of attack comes from the full-backs, the wing-backs. I mean, City did it as well, even though they inverted the wing-backs at times. But Liverpool have had particular success, and everyone's going down that route. And Liverpool are actually looking at Chilwell because he's a very good player. Felt he was a little bit overpriced. Um, I think Chelsea have got themselves a good deal there. And he's still of that age where you think, if you do want to work with him, I mean, if you had to coach who um, actually improves players, uh, you'd think that Chilwell, you could teach him a little bit more about the defensive sides of the game. He's also got a good engine, so he gets up and down the pitch. I mean, let's face it, one of the greatest players ever to play in that sort of position, Ashley Cole played for Chelsea, and he, was, he wasn't the greatest um, defender in many ways, but his pace got him out of trouble. He, but as a sideline, Ashley Cole is perhaps the most underrated player of the golden generation and the of English footballers, and probably the only one who was truly world class. But the, I digress. But I, I think Chilwell is going to work out really well. But the problem is, you need you need to you need to give him a bit of cover when he goes forward, because if you can get if you get those two centre halves or even three centre halves, as Frank has um, as you used at times isolated with the runners, then they're real problems. Uh, our biggest transfer was for Kai Havertz in the Bundesliga, obviously. And he's looked, you know, he's looked pretty good, obviously, in the in the game. Um, the Carabao Cup match against Barnsley, where he got the hat trick that looked very good. He got an assist recently, but nothing really crazy. Do you think that's because he hasn't really had a lot of time to kind of train with Chelsea? Um, or it's just the transformation between the Bundesliga now kind of going into the Premier League? Yeah, one of the things that a lot of players and managers tell you is when they come into English football, they're unprepared for the pace and physicality of it. And it takes them a while to get used to it. Even the best players, you know, have a, uh, a little bit of a development period where they grow into it. Plus, he's only young. You know, he's come to London. He's in a foreign city. He's learning loads of things. I mean, I was at the Barnsley game 
and he, you know, he got his hat trick there. And, uh, and and what impressed me most about him is his work off the ball, uh, and um, certainly for Ross Barkley's goal in that game, he was he made the challenge when he, he was pressing the Barnsley defenders and forcing them into mistakes. So I was impressed by him. Uh, I think he'll score a lot of goals in this division. He is a little bit lightweight in terms of his physique but again that will come as he develops he's got a bit of pace about him but he's got vision he's got the he can see the game I think he will turn out to be a very very good buy so did you say you were at the Barnsley Chelsea game Yes, yes, it's um, uh, it, it was one of those. I've I've seen Chelsea since uh, the the game came back after the um after the hiatus, the, the the coronavirus hiatus. I've seen Chelsea three times, once at the end of the last season, twice this season. So, um, uh, you know, it's it's one of those situations where you get to to cover these things and it's wild because you know in the press box you're actually all separated right down um down the stands and you're sitting in, in spaces where normally fans would be sitting and and one of the things is Stamford Bridge is one of those very atmospheric grounds when when, when it's on you know when that when it's full uh, it's uh, it, it's really one of the those places you want to go to it's like you know you like Anfield it's it's lively it's earthy it's there's enough of the old stadium still in place for you to feel and and the compactness to feel like you're in a proper football stadium and it's those kinds of grounds that you feel worse in when there's no fans in I mean you go over to West Ham in the London stadium that's like uh, no fans here uh, what does it matter because even when fans are in, there's no atmosphere. But it's really pronounced the difference in, um, in, in a stadium like Stamford Bridge. The other thing which is really interesting from a football journalist's point of view is that you can hear the players talking. You can hear them shouting to each other. And so you get a sense of how vocal a team is and how they relate to each other, which you don't get where the fans in. I personally don't think Chelsea shouts enough they're not the worst in it arsenal are, arsenal are pretty silent you know it's a you, you know there, there are times when you think do these fellows know each other but chelsea i think they need a bit more leadership and they need someone to to organize them and, and part of that is because of new players coming in i mean tiago silva you know what he's 35 35 um a vast amount of experience you'd hope that he'd be bringing the young kids around him on, or, you know, so even if they're not that young, you know, sort of uh, like Marcus Alonso, you know, organising that defence. But b- because he's new to the club, because of uh, the language situation, he wasn't the most vocal. And, but I think, you know, you'll see that develop a bit. So you, obviously you go to Chelsea games. Do you go to any other games? I assume you go to Arsenal games, Spurs games. Yeah, I tend to do London games because I'm based down here. So I do a lot of... Um, uh, sort of this season, I've seen Fulham, I've seen Chelsea, I've uh, seen Arsenal, uh, Crystal Palace. Again, at the end of last season, you know, you, you'd do them. Um, in the pre-lockdown days, uh, when travel was easier, I'd often go up and see a lot of Liverpool games because I have great contacts with Liverpool because I'm from Liverpool myself. Um, so I'd go up and see Liverpool games and, and you know, Manchester United even. 
essentially predominantly i'm based in london but i do in normal times i do games across britain and when you know sort of when appropriate in europe so I do in the course of a season i'll tend to see chelsea go oh, seven or eight times at least you know, same with arsenal same with tottenham so uh, speaking of Crystal Palace, Michy Batshuayi went on a loan there from Chelsea. Hasn't really gotten that much starting playing time, maybe like 10 minutes a game. They kind of sub him in at the 70th, 80th minute. Uh, do, you, do you see him having any kind of a big role in Crystal Palace or, you know, kind of a bench player like we've seen so far? Well, I, I think it's important that they try to give him a role because one of the interesting things about Palace and um, and it showed to a certain extent in the first half when they played Chelsea, is that while they're very compact, well-organised, and despite the scoreline, um, they are one of the more difficult teams to break down in the division. They haven't got much up front. And what tends to happen is the opposition double up on Zaha, even triple up on Zaha, and play. I mean, it was American football. You call a bump and run with them. They give them very physical treatments, and they'll pass them on to, you know, so they'll give them a whack and pass them on to the next one. So he takes a lot of, he, 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 he gets crowded out, and he takes a lot of physical physical impacts, you know, during the game. And you can see his frustration. He just radiates frustration. You know, if he got another striker up there who could take some of the strain off him and who could mean that teams couldn't afford to triple up on Zaha. And if he gets a little space, he'll cause teams trouble. But until they get that, you know, Palace are going to struggle. I'm not the greatest fan of Roy Hodgson for many reasons. But... Um, he does know how to set up a team to stop the opposition playing. What he needs to do is find a strike force there that takes some of the weight up Zaha's shoulders and allows you know, Palace to score more goals. And I think that's where he might he might play a part in them. I mean, uh, uh, Loftus-Cheek was over there at Celeste and, and he... he basically uh, rehabilitates his reputation to a certain extent for the time he plays at Palace. So I think, yeah, it could be a similar situation. We saw in the game against Palace that Timo Werner, another addition this summer by Chelsea, was playing on the left wing, which Frank Lampard has opted to do quite a few times already this season. Um, What do you think about that? Obviously trying to include Tommy Abraham um, up front there. But I think, in my opinion at least, I think that's hindering his game. Um, I just don't think he works as well out there on the left-hand side. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you get the strong sense watching them that Lampard hasn't yet worked out his best shape, his best his best personnel. And he's kind of experimenting, trying to fit these good players into positions which don't necessarily suit them, but will actually... Uh, work for the team as a whole, and I agree with you. It hasn't worked at all yet. I think he's. Um, I, I think there's been some good signs. There's been, um, you know, so again, Van has got a, a lot of vision, a lot of ability, and you can see that he will have an impact. But until he finds a role that suits him, then you know he's. he's he, he looks as if he's drifted out of the game a little bit. And you, you're going to need to get him the ball and get him into the game. And Lampard hasn't done that. And I think, I mean, it's the same sort of situation where players have to bed in 
in the Premier League, the very few hit the ground running. And it's complicated by the fact that I think Lampard has no, hasn't yet grasped the tactics he wants to play and the the players that he needs to slot into certain positions to create a a viable a viable team that where the, the, all the parts contribute. Yeah, I mean Frank Lampard is a Chelsea legend and. He was a manager at Derby for, I believe, one year uh, in the championship. And I think they finished mid-table, maybe uh, closer to the end of the table. So, you know, there wasn't really much he could do there. You know, he, d- he didn't get them promoted to the Premier League or anything. So he really hasn't had that much time, uh, you know, uh, managing a club. Uh, and, and especially as big as Chelsea is, you know, it's a lot of pressure on him. Uh, but but I think it's it's a little tough because we have all these signings and all the Chelsea fans and everyone basically uh, who follows the Premier League uh, believes Chelsea is going to do really well. And with all these record signings, these new signings that Chelsea have, you know, he, he doesn't really know what he's doing to put them together. And I think that putting Kai Havertz on the wing in some games isn't the best. And also... He doesn't really have. Uh, he doesn't really know what tactics he's running with them, and he doesn't really know uh, what formation to go with for Chelsea. Uh, you know, their main one is a four-three-three, uh, and that is used by a lot of teams, especially in the Premier League. So I don't know if we're going to stick with that, if we're going to change the formations. But yeah, I think it's a little, it's a little weird. Uh, kind of Frank Lampard doesn't really, you know, have a big idea of what he's doing at Chelsea. Yeah, we've seen him using three centre halves, you know, uh, to to get the wing backs up the field. Um, we've seen him using sort of two two deep line midfielders as a pivot. Um, sometimes, and they, they weren't suited to that role, like Ross Barkley before he went to uh, Villa. So yeah, it's. I mean, he had a year at um, Derby County. And they weren't that far off the playoffs, the, the, you know, and there the, were many issues behind the scenes at Derby. I think everyone was glad when uh, Frank got the Chelsea job. And he's a very, very, he's a very, very articulate uh, uh, man and a very, um, very thoughtful. And, you know, and he's, I think he's been thrown in at the deep end in the sense that the Chelsea job is a huge job. Uh, you know, I'm I'm quite friendly with um, Rafa Benitez, who spent six months there, and you know he he talks about the peculiar pressures that you get at Chelsea, which you sometimes you don't get from its other clubs. You know, it's, uh, each club has its own pressures, but it's um, it, it's because Abramovich has re-engaged in you know the past well, well this year really, and they've spent so much money. The pressure will be on. Frank to produce quickly. However, I would say the status as a club legend and you know what a midfielder he was. You know, a, a goal scorer midfielder like him are a rare com- com- commodity. He's a fantastic player. Um, but because of his status there, I think he'll get time. Um, but it's hard to learn on the job at a club like Chelsea. Having said that, we've seen top class managers. They were absolutely brilliant elsewhere, chewed up and spat out by it. You know, and even if they've won the league, it doesn't mean they last there. The Chelsea way of doing things can be a little strange. I mean, when after 
Mourinho was sacked for the first time, they come up with the idea that managers were kind of interchangeable, uh, interchangeable, dispensable, and that it, it didn't matter who managed the team as long as you had the best players. And to an extent, extent that was right, because when you've got players like Didier Drogba, Frank Lampard, um, uh, John Terry and Peter Cech, they will, they'll work things out on the pitch. To a certain extent, they didn't need to be managed. And I think the, 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 the phase that shows that was the run to the Champions League in 2012, when Di Matteo was in charge and everyone knew that uh, Roberto wasn't the greatest coach or the greatest manager, but it didn't matter because these players, they knew what they were doing. And all of them were strong characters, leaders, proper leaders. You know, it's um, uh, you, 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 if you have two of that type of player in your team, then you're going to win, you're going to be successful. High quality ability, leadership ability, and suck up responsibility. The problem is, once those players disappear, then suddenly the manager becomes much more important. And um, and and, uh, and Rafa Benitez was t- told me a story when he was talking to some of the uh, some of the, the directors at Chelsea. And they were saying, "Well, you know, yeah, you know, we we keep on winning despite you know changing the managers. So the policies worked." And Rafa said, "Imagine though how much more you might have won if you would have kept you know the, the best manager, a top class manager." you might well have won more. And that's the that's the big intangible in this, isn't it? Would Chelsea have won more if they would have kept a, a, a great manager? You look at the managers, Ancelotti, who's doing brilliantly at Everton, you know, and, and lovely man, probably not suited to the Chelsea job. You know, it's a, not intense enough. You know, you, you obviously Mourinho, second time round, nah, he, he returned to a, what was then a loveless marriage and it kind of fizzled out a little bit. But, you know, you, you look at Conte and you think Conte should have been, a, you know, a, a perfect match. It, it goes on. I can go on all night about this. But, I, I mean, essentially, if they continue with the idea that managers are dispensable, at some point, they'll, they'll make Frank dis- dispensable. The problem is he hasn't got leaders. He hasn't got characters. And I don't think they bought leaders and characters in this window. And when I look at Frank Lampard, uh, if you go over, I guess, to North London, you see what Mikel Arteta is doing um, with Arsenal. Obviously, he was uh, coaching with Pep Guardiola at Man City for, uh, you know, a couple of years. So he kind of gained that experience. But he seems to actually have like a style of, of football. And I, I don't think Frank Lampard exactly has that. Um, obviously, Mikel Arteta not having the same assets that Frank Lampard has, but I don't know. It just seems like Frank Lampard doesn't seem like he has, uh, you know, uh, any tactics. I, I don't know. It just seems like he really needs to mature as a manager. Yeah, I think that is, I think it's 100% right. And one of the interesting things about Arteta is that when, in, in, in Guardiola's first year, when he felt the players stopped listening to him, which was in the December of his first year, just before they played Arsenal, um, where he did is he gave the responsibility to Arteta. So Arteta did the team talk, Arteta did the half-time talk, and not just for the Arsenal game, uh, for the games around that. You know, Arteta was given uh, uh, that level of responsibility and he took it on. I think 
because of his work with Guardiola, he's probably a little, well, considerably more tactically advanced than Lampard. Uh, you know, so he was, he was thrown in um, at the deep end of Derby without any tactical guru to bring him along. Having said that, he's worked under Mourinho, he's worked under Benitez, he's, you know, he's, he's worked with those who are, Certainly, in the past 20 years, you put up with the very best tactically. I mean, you look at where Arteta's doing there. He's looked at uh, Arsenal. He's seen the weaknesses. So he's playing this 3-4-3 system where, he, he, you know, three centre-halves to protect the fact that you know, it takes it takes three Arsenal centre-halves to be as good as a normal pairing you know, for a, a good side. So he's done that. But it allows the, the, the full-backs to get up. And then when they're under pressure, you know, they, they form a five. And it w- works quite well, works reasonably well for Arsenal. Whether working the long term is anyone's guess, but Arteta has got this identity. He's going to get those wing backs forward and he's going to try and get the, the, his front three, he's going to get them pressing and he's going to get them working hard. And he's going to get them once Arsenal get the ball in the deep, they're going to run down the channels. And Arsenal are not shy about looking up and going long. You know, so so this is the way they want to do things. Um, I don't think Lampard's got any plan of that, any blueprint that's as uh, I'll show for as as, as um, that is that is worked on as much, and he plans to stick with for a considerable amount of time. So I have a two-part question for you now, and it involves Chelsea and their goalkeeping. We, we know that Mendy right now is a solution. We don't know for how long, but I want to get your initial thoughts on him so far. And then the situation with Kepa, uh, obviously Lampard wants to be able to transfer him. You know, the transfer deadline is over, but we're not going to be able to get him uh, out of Chelsea for more than we spent on him. Obviously the largest goalkeeper uh, deal in the entire world and, there's no way that we're going to be able to sell him for more than we got him. And I already repeated that, but what do you think Kepa's future is? I, I it, it's, it's amazing really, because the, you know, um, they bought him just after Liverpool bought Allison and paid even more for him. And a lot of people were saying to me at the time, what are they thinking? You know, why are they paying so much? I mean, people were critical of uh, Liverpool paying so much for Allison. Uh, it, it turned up very well. Um, but, it's a lot of money for a goalkeeper, and then Chelsea go and spend more. And he, the the logic was right because you know it, it's worked for Liverpool. They had um, pretty poor keepers. You know, Carrius cost them a Champions League final. Bring in Allison, and it makes a huge difference. If you've one of the problems of the back four, you can tell they are the nervous about. The goalkeeper, you know, the, the worries about Kepa and that uncertainty spreads in the defence. You don't want to see it. But what gets me is that I would have expected the coaches to be working with Kepa on the training grounds, looking at his weaknesses and trying to eradicate them because he has got the raw talent. There was a reason Chelsea paid big money for him. And, you know, it, it, it clearly hasn't worked out. Um, I, I, I just, they're not going to be able to often offload him unless they pay half of his wages or more, even on loan. And they're certainly not going to get a price for him in this market. So they're stuck with him. And one of the one of the problems, which we all know, 
is when you've got unhappy players in the dressing room, players the manager doesn't want, it's poisonous. You know, it, 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 it's very, very difficult to keep up morale and he'll become a sort of a rallying point for other people who are dissatisfied in the squad. You know, it's, um, you know, you've seen it, I've seen it with other teams before and it happens everywhere, you know, uh, but you get a group of moaners who gather together and and bitch. That's not good for team morale. So I I, I can't see any way them getting out, getting them out of there. So one of the uh, later moves that Chelsea made in the transfer window was to send out Ross Barkley to Aston Villa on loan. Um, Obviously we saw their big win uh, against Liverpool winning 7-2. Big surprising result there. What do you think about him there? And also I guess Aston Villa, what they can do this season. Well, Ross Barkley, who I've watched since he was very young because he came through as Everton, and obviously, you know, such a, a local love in my hometown, which I spend a lot of time, you know, paying attention to. And he was burdened by the comparisons to Steven Gerrard. Um, you know, physically, he's very similar and he's got all the tools. He had the wrong managers at the wrong time. Uh, Roberto Martinez at Goodison basically give him a free roll. So he didn't learn how to play the game, how to be a midfielder. Um, then he, he went to, um, uh, then Kuman come in and Kuman took one look at him and went, no. Because by then he developed a reputation for making bad decisions with the ball at his feet, running down blind alleys, um, attempting passes that, frankly, shouldn't have been even going through his mind. So, um you know, that was a problem. Chelsea bought him essentially to bolster the English contingent. You know, that they required homegrown players, um, not necessarily as a someone who could improve the first team. And then I, he was sort of, re- they tried to recast him as a defensive midfielder and it didn't really work. He's at his best when he's forward and, and you know, sort of thrusting and getting onto the ball on the edge of the box. What's interesting, and you could say the same about Deli Ali as well, who's had a similar, rather indisciplined uh, first part of his career. Both of them are midfielders who were cast in the Steven Gerrard mould. And I think if they were coming through now, they wouldn't play like that. I don't think if Steven Gerrard was coming now through now, he play like that. It'd be a different sort of role, not that up and down midfielder burst into the box. I think the style of football has changed completely and neither Deli Ali or Barkley has adapted the style well enough to suit the modern game. Both of them have bags of talent. Both of them need to get their minds right pretty soon. And I mean, I thought I thought Barkley was going to be involved in a relegation fight at Aston Villa. And then, of course, Villa spank Liverpool really badly. Um, he still will be in the better bottom half of the table. I'm not too sure about the standards of coach, coaching there, whether they'll be able to improve him. Um, I, I, I think it's given him opportunity to play every week, and that's the important thing. But as a player, he's got to make the right decisions. I can't imagine that he'll be going back to Chelsea at any point. So to finish this out, and we still have a long way to go here in this Premier League season, but I want to get your three relegation teams and then your top four who will make Champions League next season. 
Oh, well, the three relegation teams, I think the obvious ones are Fulham. Uh, I saw them uh, first day of the season against Arsenal, and I was like, it was Sunday league defence, and the defenders were getting caught under the ball. Basic lobs into the area that, you know, when, when, you, when you play in a, like, you know, sort of on the parks as a defender, and I used to defend myself, you come out and you attack them and meet them. Defenders getting caught under the ball. They haven't reinforced well enough. Fulham will go down. That's going to be really, really ugly. Uh, West Brom, I think, are going to have similar problems. I don't think they're very good. Uh, you know, and I, I also fear for Burnley this year because they did so well last season. And but they've stuck to a policy of not spending a lot of money. Um, you know, sort of expecting Daesh to to do all the you know, sort of the heavy lifting and keep the team together. I think it might well have run its course. Daesh is looking increasingly, increasingly unhappy. <coughs> Excuse me. Daesh is looking increasingly unhappy. And um, I think the, the, the realisation is coming that you can't do the same thing forever. In football, you're either going forward or you're going backwards. You don't sit still. And I think the backward momentum has started to Burnley. So that's that to me three to go down. The top four, I think, is fairly straightforward. I still think Liverpool will win the league. I think a lot of teams are catching up with what Liverpool are trying to do, or what Liverpool have done for the past two years, and are going to squeeze the wing backs back. But in buying Thiago, a change is the point of attack. But what a lot of people didn't notice for two, two and a half years, is that Liverpool's midfields couldn't be viewed in a way that you view traditional midfields. Traditional midfields get up and down the pitch, they get on the you know, players get on the edge of the box, they score goals, they contribute with goals. Liverpool's midfield was basically a defensive unit. They were there to give balance uh, and to cover for the, the, the two wing-backs. People are working, they're out, so, so you know, Liverpool need to adapt. Thiago in there, gives them creativity in midfield and it's a return to a more traditional attacking sort of midfield. So that should, you know, that, that, that should give them an edge when Klopp's wing-back system fails. I think Man City are the obvious, um, despite the problems they've got now, uh, an obvious Champions League qualifier. They've just got too much talent there. Again, they've neglected the defence, like Chelsea, and they will pay for that. Um, I think... Like Liverpool, people have worked out because City City's success was built on a five a front five man press, one man in midfield, effectively a reverse sweeper, a midfielder sweeping up for the for the press, and a back four that plays a high line on the halfway line to compress the game, to compress the pitch, and allow the, the front five to press. People have worked that out now, and I think Guardiola needs to add a coaching kink to change things around a little bit. The, the personnel have changed. The press isn't as, as effective. But they've got so much talent that when they pass the ball around, they, they, so, so I think they're through. I'm going to say, um, I'm rather hoping Ancelotti gets Everton into the top four because uh, I think it'd be nice to see one of the traditional giants uh, get back up there after years of being in the, the doldrums. And, of course, you know, they're the, the from my city and the city needs a strong, both two strong teams. So it would be quite nice. And, you know, it's always nice to see them, see Evertonians start to believe and then Liverpool beat them. You know, I always enjoy that. Um, and then the fourth, I'm going to go for Chelsea 
despite all the problems. And um, I, I and Chelsea might well finish third. There's just so much talent going forward that if Lampard can harness it properly, then I think they're, they're going to be better than Arsenal. I think they're going to be better than Tottenham. Uh, I told you know Wolves have struggled a bit this season. Um, Manchester United, I think Tottenham's route of United shows you exactly where United are. And while they've got Solskjaer, then you know you're not going to see you're not going to see them develop. And in many ways, the Chelsea and United thing is similar because it's an emotional appointment as a manager, a former player, much loved, brings unity, doesn't bring tactics to the table. So, but I do think Chelsea have got enough. So, yeah, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say those four. Tony Evans is a columnist for The Independent and a former football editor of The Times. Thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, a pleasure, a pleasure. That was our interview with Tony Evans. Josh and I both had a blast recording with him, one of the nicest guys we've ever talked to. Uh, I know Josh also really enjoyed that interview. Oh yeah, it was great. And I think Alex, you did go a little crazy when he had that. He has a he has kind of a personal relationship with Rafa, so I think that was pretty cool. You you were yeah, very cool. <laughs> You're Very going a little cool, crazy about that one. So. <laughs> but uh, oh yeah, super super great guy, super cool guy, and the amount of I I didn't even know that he went to the that was a complete surprise when when he told us that he went to the Barnsley game. Um, yeah, we did not know that before recording, so that that was kind of cool that it came up, you know, mid mid uh mid statement. So yeah, uh, overall great interview. Um, we, we're definitely going to have him on sometime again in the future. But make sure to go follow Talking Blues Pod on Twitter. Um, We will post the new episodes. And soon we'll be starting to post other stuff as well. Um, I got to get better with that. And we will have more content up on the Twitter. Um, Josh, do you have anything else? Yeah, wherever you're listening, please subscribe. Go into Apple Podcasts. We need some more. So give us some more five-star rating and reviews. And then also, please share with at least one friend this podcast, share with friends and family. And then on Twitter, go share on your on your Twitter and then go tag us at Talking Blues Pod or send us a DM that you that you completed, you know, sharing it out. And then we'll give you a nice shout out on the podcast. All right. So that is a wrap for episode number nine of the Talking Blues podcast. Um, We will have an episode recapping the Southampton game and maybe the Champions League game as well uh, next week. So make sure to tune in for that. Um, And I guess we'll see everyone next time. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason, and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. 
From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening.